I'm so glad that you guys came because we're going to talk about families. And families are kind of messy, kind of like the technology tonight, right? <laughs> you can plan stuff and it just gets in the way. So we just got to flex with it and go with it. But sometimes we get so uptight when it comes to parenting because we have an image in our, in our mind of what the perfect parent looks like. And as I talked to a lot of parents, they said, you know, I just want my kid just to be nice. That's what I'm settling for, and that's what I'm going for. And it started to bother me, because I started to hear it time after time after time. Well, one time I was at a mops group in Malibu, speaking to the mops there, where Melissa w- w- attended. Are you still going to the mops group there? No. Because the kids are now in probably high school or something, right? <laughs> so when she was in the mops group, I probably was there, and I was speaking to uh, uh, the mothers of preschoolers there in Malibu Press, and I had talked about in my presentation, there's three different types of families. There's a child-centered family where we put the kid up on a pedestal and we say, what do you want for breakfast? And do you want me to cut your toast into little tiny shapes of elephants? Or, you know, what can I do for you today? And we, we wait on our kids and we kind of treat them as, you know, idols. And we put them up in the pedestal and that makes that very insecure kid because the child knows that he or she shouldn't be up on that idol as an idol on that pedestal. So I have a child-centered home. We also have an adult-centered home or a parent-centered home where it's all about the parent's job or about their stuff or their hobbies and the kids are just you know, pulled along as kind of extensions of themselves. And I said, but what would happen if we had a Christ-centered home? What would that look like? So not a child-centered home where the kid's an idol, not a parent-centered home where the kids are just extensions of mom or dad, but a Christ-centered home. What would that look like? Well, she came up to me afterwards, she goes, I have a child-centered home. And I don't even know what a Christ-centered home would mean, because I'm just here new at MOPS, and I don't really understand this Christ-centered stuff. But my home is a mess. My family's out of control, because my kid is at the center of it. I go, how old's your kid? He's three. I go, well, three-year-olds were never meant to be the center of a home. She goes, I know. When can you, co- when can you come over? <laughs> and she goes, can you come over tonight? And she was urgent, and she was a desperate housewife. And so I said, no, I can't come over tonight, but I can come over Thursday. And so she said, okay, good. So I drove up to their house. She lived in Point Doom. So it was a beautiful environment to go, because I'm a surfer. Any excuse to go near the water is great. By the way, this wind today is so dry. You know, it's making me, I'm going to be drinking that all night. It's water, by the way. Um, It's off, there it goes. <laughs> so I drive up to her house in Point Doom, beautiful house, and I hear the surf breaking in the background. I go, this is great. I'm getting paid to make a house call, um, and I can hear the surf. I hear the seagulls making their noise. And I go, this is, this is super. Everything was calm until the door opened. <laughs> and then all heck broke loose, you know. The little kid, little banshee came charging at me going, Rah! and he goes, Boom! Boom, and he hit me right in the private parts. Guys, have you ever had a greeting like that before by a three-year-old? It was my first time experience. That, that, and I'm, she goes, hey, how are you? I'm going, hi, how are you? <clears throat> and the, the kid starts just, you know, a little terrorist, starts running around all over the place. And she goes, Damien! <laughs> True story. True story. You might know this lady. <laughs> And I'm thinking, well, if you don't want your child to act like a child of hell, don't know it, name him after a child of hell. <laughs> so Damien's like tearing around. This time he comes back for a second attempt 
that hit me there. And I turned, because Mama didn't raise no fool, and I turned and he hit me around the hips again. I go, man, this kid's violent. And so he just tearing around the house, screaming. He's all excited to see me. And she goes, he's excited to see you. And I'm like, I'm not sure I like this excitement. It's kind of painful. Meanwhile, I hear this rustling in the background. And I, I was wondering what was going on because I hear this little chain banging around and everything. And this man sticks his head out from behind the wall. And he goes, hey, Tim, I, I'm whatever his name was. I'll be with you in a minute. More chain, rustling. He goes, hey, are you okay with dogs? And I see his arm going like this. <laughs> I go, yeah, I'm okay with dogs. He goes, good. Are you okay with big dogs? And I go, yeah. As soon as I said that, I go, why, why did I say that? Because if his kid's this little micro-terrorist, what's behind the wall and what's his chain? I keep hearing. Well, I hear him go, Wanda! He claps his hands. This giant dog comes out from behind the wall. Now I see why he had kept him behind the wall, because he had him all chained up in this big, huge chain. It was the biggest dog I'd ever seen. It's a South African Borgia. I think I'm saying that right. Or Borgelet, if you want to use the French. Have, do you know what I'm talking about? A South African Borgia? Do you? You've seen them? Yes. They're a size of a Mastiff on steroids. Yeah. So if you have a Mastiff, this dog, this dog is bigger. And I have big dogs. So I'm used to seeing big dogs, but not this big dog. 280-pound dog. He goes, this is a lion hunting dog. I go, did you say this is a lion? He goes, this is a lion hunting dog. Its paws were huge, like a lion. He goes... When the Africans have this dog, they just put him out in front of their hut. The lions come in, come in at night. When the villagers have this dog, they just put him out in front of their hut. And when the lions come in, they see the dog and they run away. <laughs> and the dog sees the cat and chases the cat. It's a lion hunting dog. Because it's not afraid of the lion. Because it's as big as some lions and it's got huge paws. It'll chase down a lion and kill it. Um, so it certainly is a good watchdog. Why they had this in their 2,000-square-foot house in Malibu, I'm not really sure, when they had, like, no yard and, you know, just the cliff and then the ocean, and this giant dog and this out-of-control micro-terrorist. And so he, the dog, Wanda, she, comes up to me, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be attacked by the kid, and this dog's going to eat me. And I'm thinking about reaching for the phone to tell my wife, you know, I might, you know, call 911, because I really was getting nervous. The dog came out and put its giant paws on shoulder and shoulder and started to get up, and I thought it was going to try to lick me. But, you know, I watch educational TV. I watch Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer. So I did what Caesar recommended. I do it with my big 85-pound dog. Of course, he's a golden doodle, so he's mostly fluff. But I did it to Wanda what I do to Charlie. I just need Wanda as hard as I could right in her chest, and she went right down. And she was docile and cooperative the rest of the night. I was thinking, I should have done that to Damien. <laughs> Meanwhile, the micro-terrorist started to calm down a little bit. And I pet Wanda, and she was good and cooperative. And the parents thanked me for coming. And I said, well, you know, this, you've watched Super Nanny. So what we're going to do is kind of like Super Nanny. We're going to talk to you about what you think would be the issues and what a healthy family looks like. And how your child, your little precious Damien there, needs to be more than nice. And so I kind of went through some basic stuff of parenting with them. And she's taken notes. One of the first things I said is, here's what you might want to do. Take him off the pedestal. He's not in control. You're the parent. 
You're the authority. If you want him to be more secure, more capable, and do better in school and life, because there was already complaints from the preschool, because I know the director. <laughs> and she had complained to me about this kid. She goes, don't tell the parents. We're about ready to kick him out of his preschool, because he was so out of control. And so, uh, anyway, so I sat down and I said, he's not supposed to be in control. You are. You're the authorities. So what you want to do is you're in control, the parents in control, and so you set guidelines and you set rules and you stick to them. She's writing this down. Parents are in control. You know, not Damien, you know. So and then I just kind of go through a routine of the day, getting out the door on time, because that was a problem. Bedtime, they didn't have any boundaries or rules. Basic stuff like that and consequences. And she after two hours, and he was upstairs, a little precious thing, being tucked in bed by his dad at a reasonable time, and we wrote everything down just like Super Nanny. And so I said, okay, if you can just follow this routine in the morning, meal, and nighttime, I think things will go quite well and just follow through on these consequences for discipline. She goes, this is so helpful. I've learned more in the last two hours from this house call than I did in my six years getting my master's in marriage and family therapy. (laughs) True story. Now, no diss on the therapist, you know, because I am a counselor. But you can learn it in your head, like she did at school, but she didn't know how to live it in the home. So one of the things we want to do is not be that family. We want our kids to be you know, cooperative, and we want them to be more than nice. And we don't want them to be little banshees like that guy. So the reason why I start with that story is because it's funny. But the other reason why I illustrate that is you come in here and go, At least my kid's not that screwed up, right? (laughs) So I want to give you some hope. Meanwhile, I've worked with that family for quite a long time, and the kid's doing great now, and the parents are feeling so much more confident and secure. One little issue of explanation is they grew up uh, in Malibu, and both parents were in the entertainment industry and never home. They had plenty of money, but no supervision or guidance. So what did they know about parenting? Nothing. And so they were starting at minus zero. And so that's one reason why they just needed help. So you're already ahead of that family because you're coming here to you know, talk about parenting. So what's wrong with the danger of raising nice kids? Well, let me just admit, we don't come from the perfect family because uh, we have just a normal family. This is a recent picture of our daughter's uh, Nicole's wedding to Aaron, the tall guy in the middle. That's my wife, Suzanne. And then Brooke is married to Matt. And so... A lot of what we've learned has been through trial and error. We certainly are not perfect, but we have guinea pigs. We call them our daughters. And so a lot of stuff that we tried, well, it didn't work. Well, let's go to back up and go to plan B. And so my wife, who used to be a social worker, which prepared her to be a middle school teacher now, and I used to be a youth pastor, and now I'm a family coach. I was a family pastor for a while, too. So that's, those are our backgrounds. So one of the things I noticed was this whole trend. Oh, and by the way, that's my, our grandson, Ashton. I've got to show you that. He's five months old. I have a newer picture. I've got to update that. So what's wrong with nice? The word nice actually means well-mannered, courteous, but ignorant. The word nice comes from the Latin word nation, which means not knowing. It means, you know, ignorant means not, and then norant means knowing. So it actually means in the Old English, not knowing, same as in Latin. Well, we don't want our kids to be, you know, nice-looking, well-mannered, but not prepared for life. And yet so many parents say, at least my kids are nice. I keep hearing this saying, 
from parents a lot, hey, my kids are nice. At least they're not, finish the sentence. What do you think they say? My kids are nice. At least they're not in prison. prison. Right. I've actually heard that. At least they're not on drugs. I hear that a lot. What else? At least they're nice. They're not naughty. They're what? Breaking the law. Yeah. So what I'd like to suggest is we raise the bar a little bit higher than all those things. Okay. Not perfectionism, but a little bit higher than nice, but not, you know, smoking weed or in jail. Um, So what we want to do is be aware of the things that get us into following niceness. And it's actually a decoy. And they all begin with A. A lot of times we just settle for the kid acting a certain way. You know, well, look at how well he's acting. His you know, act, behavior is so good. We must be doing a good job as parents. Well, you might just have a kid that's really good at acting and he has really covert behavior and you don't know what's going on. We have a huge emphasis uh, with sports in this area. Now, I'm not against sports. I did high school sports. I did college sports. I used to coach high school. And so I'm a big you know, sports fan, and I'm all for it. But I don't think that that's the measure of our success as parents if our kids get a Division I scholarship in a sport. That's secondary, not primary. And the other one is Academics. Nor do I think that we're successful parents just because our kids have a super high GPA. Because you can have a kid with a super high GPA, and I've seen them, I have several that are clients, that when they go away to university, because they got into a good university, they fall apart. And a lot of it has to do with the pressure they were under while they're trying to be a nice kid and have people go, wow, you're really nice, and wow, how'd you get this 4.5 GPA? And then they get to university and they don't know how to handle it because they didn't have the other things that they needed. So these are good things, but these aren't the measure of success for a capable young person. And you know what? They're very common in our culture, and a lot of us settle for the good. And, we're de- and they can be decoys. We go, hey, they're nice. They have, you know, they're busy. I'm not saying just keep your kids at home and bored, but also tend to reject the cultural idea that the busier the kid, the happier the kid. What we're finding out, I'm actually a researcher, I study this, and we poll thousands of kids, and what they're saying is, I'm too busy, I'm stressed. In fact, recently we, just, we surveyed a group of teenagers out of the 1,448 that we surveyed, we found out that 62% of them were feeling stressed, middle schoolers and high schoolers. Huge. When we asked the parents of these kids, how many of you think you're child, middle school or high schooler, is stressed, about 23% reported. So they were off by 40 points, not even knowing how stressed their kids are. So a lot of kids are feeling stressed for a bunch of different reasons. Um, and a lot of it has to do because they're so busy and they feel the pressure of the, athletic, the athletics, the academics, the activities. So what we want to do is realize that those are good, but they're externals. And we sometimes look at a nice kid as just, hey, he looks great. Doesn't have too many tattoos. You know, doesn't have some weird funky hairdo. He gets a pretty good grade. He's good at sports. And wow, he's busy. He must be good. What I'm suggesting is our kids, to handle it in this culture, need to be more than nice. Because parenting from the outside in produces nice kids. But it won't prepare kids for college. It won't make them capable. 
So external-oriented parenting produces external-oriented kids. A lot of times I ask parents, are you worried about this sense of entitlement in these kids that are spoiled? How many of you are worried about that? How many of you see that? I'm not talking about your kids. I'm talking about your neighbor's kids, right? Exactly. Okay, exactly, right. Because we get this little, what have you done for me lately, and why can't I have what he has? Really? I don't get the, what's the PS1? Is that the new one? Four, or what is it called? Four? Yeah, i got to keep up. Yeah, PS4, excuse me. Yeah, that was like the hot item for Christmas, right? So if you don't have like the latest version of it, I just got my old Wii that I have, so you can tell I'm not keeping up. So if we don't have that, they're going to feel like, wow, I'm really behind. Let's see if this video works. My dad must be the best employee in the world because he's always at his job. My dad can blackberry faster than anyone while he drives. My dad's really great at softball. That's why I play six nights a week. My dad is punctual. The child support check arrives on the first of every month. My dad takes us to church every Sunday, unless there's a game on. My dad says if you pay in cash, the government won't know about it. My dad is what my therapist likes to call emotionally unavailable. My dad says email time is quality time. My dad says he only pushes me at sports so I don't end up looking like my mom. My dad says you can't get good at online poker without a lot of practice. My dad likes to sing after his fifth beer. My dad says I'm almost as cute as my mom used to be. When I grow up, I want to be just like the dad that's a friend of my dad's. Well, it's a big, beautiful cave we're in, huh? No, it's tiny. Can't you see? Okay, my eyes are just adjusting still. That's right. Jump, Daddy, jump! Jump, I'm not jump. Jump, get it. Okay. Okay, you're right. Now you're out. Okay, well, what was I in? France. Well, I was in France. Now we're on the beach. Okay, we're on the beach now. All right, great. Is it a nice beach here? Uh-huh. Only because mermaids give us popcorn balls. Oh, that's so nice. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to let you have a minute to discuss at your table this discussion question. How can niceness actually distract us from effective parenting? And then that second quote. Okay, so you have two minutes. So discuss those two questions at your table. Okay, when you think of success with your kids, since we're challenging the cultural view of the four A's and just settling for niceness, what comes to mind? How will you know if you're successful with your kids? What is your view of what your kid should look like? Anybody have any idea? What do you want your kid to be like when they're 18? What are some qualities? 
Not in jail. Not, not in jail. That's a good place. Yeah. Celibate. Pardon me? Celibate. celibate. Yeah. A celibate that's not in jail. Yeah. Hey, we got it. There, we're done. There we go. Yeah. passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I like and I that. I mean, that would have to be not just following Jesus, but to be passionate about the relationship. Yeah. So it's not posers, it's, it's not one. fake. It's, it's not just, it's, oh, it's I'm genuine. here. I mean, it's like something that they're passionate about in their life. Yeah, I like everything that. else kind of follows behind that, doesn't it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. It's hard to teach passion. It's better to model it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. it's hard to have adults mm-hmm. even get that. True. Yeah, sometimes I have a stronger passion for surfing than I do for God. Because mm-hmm. it just seems like it comes easier, because I love to surf. Mm-hmm. There are days when I'm like, eh, not that interested about doing the God thing, you know. I'm, maybe I'm being too you know, vulnerable here. But there are days where it's kind of like, eh, I don't want to do the right thing. I want to do the thing that I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, but we don't always have that choice as parents, right? Mm-hmm. Remember when you had to change the diapers in the middle of the night? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to sleep. Yeah. What do you want your kid to be when they're 18? Pardon me? Integrity. Integrity. Yeah, that's huge. Purpose. Purpose. Now, I don't know if you guys are like Suzanne and I. We've been married for 35 years. Yeah, we, got, we met in kindergarten, got married right in first grade. And so, but we're both strong-willed, opinionated people, and we disagree a lot. And yet we still love each other and we're married. Well, we disagreed on parenting. We had two different views on what was success for our kid. And so uh, we were in the car driving to Oregon one time when our kids were small, from Orange County to Oregon, which is a bad idea when the kids are three and five. But it's all we could afford, you know, because I was a pastor. And uh, so I go, well, I got this vacation. I got a little bit of money. Let's go to Oregon with a three and five-year-old. In a, in a Mustang. That was even you know, worse. But we had, uh, out of the 14 hours to drive, we had 20 minutes when they were actually asleep. And so I asked Suzanne, I said, well, where do you want to go with these kids? And she goes, well, I hope to Oregon. I go, well, I was thinking kind of like their life. You know, what, what is your goal? What do you think they should be? And she goes, well, where does this come from? I go, well, you know, we just got all this time to talk and they're asleep finally. And so it uh, seems like you and I disagree on where we want to go with the kids and what success would be. And she goes, what would success be to you? And I said, well, a Division I athlete. That would be success. <laughs> you know, because that was my aspiration. And so I go, you know, that, that would be good. And they could get a scholarship and they could win, you know, a college education. That would be great. She goes, really? I go, seriously, that would be good. I'm just driving. I go, what is it you want? She goes, I really want them to be good students. I go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's good too. So <laughs> we drove along for a while, and I go, wait a minute, I think we're missing something. Um, this is a true story. This actually happened. I go, I thought of a- athletics first. She thought of academics. Silence for a while. And then I go, what about Jesus? <laughs> What about Jesus? Kind of that passion for Jesus. And I thought of that third. Wait a minute. 
we probably should start with that. And she goes, yeah, that's a good idea. I go, here's the verse I just remembered. Luke 2.52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. What would happen if that becomes our target for Nicole and Brooke when they get to be 18? And Jesus grew in wisdom. What does that mean? Well, wisdom means looking at life from God's point of view or taking knowledge and applying it to life. We know people that have a lot of knowledge. And like the lady I told you in the story, she had a lot of knowledge and she had a degree, but she wasn't able to apply that knowledge to life. So she really wasn't wise in her parenting. But wisdom is applying knowledge to life and also looking at life from God's point of view. So we want kids to be wise, not just smart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. That's physically. So that's the part I was going for. I want our kids to be good, you know, healthy. I want them to be good athletes. I want them to be strong enough to take care of themselves. Basically, I want them to be stronger than guys so guys don't take advantage of them. That's what I was thinking. I don't want my kid, girls to be wimpy. I want them to be confident and bold. And some boy picks on them. I want them to basically take them out, you know. Not that I'm a violent person, but when it comes to protecting my kids, I am, okay? So I want them to be, you know, courageous and strong, not taken advantage of. Because I'd seen way too many women in my ministry get taken advantage of by, you know, mean men. And I didn't want my daughters to be that way at all. So I thought one way would be, let's have them strong physically. But they also need to be strong socially. So they can probably you know, avoid all that adversary and conflict if they know how to pick the right friends in the first place. So Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, socially and spiritually. So what we did was Suzanne took a piece of paper out and she drew a circle and we divided it into four different pieces of the pie and we just said, okay, this is what we want to aim for. So we started a conversation that lasted 20 years. Now that they're married, we're kind of like, ah, we're done. You know? <laughs> we still think in terms of this uh, as a well-rounded life. And we use this as our diagnostic for our well-rounded life. So for our anniversary this year, we bought each other these towny beach cruisers um, with seven speeds on them because we live in Newberry Park and there's a lot of hills and we didn't want to get a regular beach cruiser. So, you know, we tried to do something that would keep us in good shape physically or better shape physically. So instead of going somewhere for our anniversary, we bought these bikes. And so we go down, ride them in Ventura. So we still use this for ourselves as a diagnostic, but we also used it with our kids to have conversations with them. This is wisdom. We want you to be a well-rounded person. And I actually use this in my coaching. I'll have students come in. If they're Christian, I'll refer to Jesus. If they're not, if they're secular, I won't refer to Jesus. But I go, you know, there's this well-rounded life. This is what it looks like. (laughs) What side of the tire is flat in your life? And every time, and I've done this hundreds of times with kids, they'll go, that part. I go, would you like to make it stronger? Would you like to pump up a little air on the social side? And they go, yeah, I could use it. I go, okay, let's work on it. You can do this with your kids. And... If you're Christians, you can say, in the models, Jesus. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. The value of using that as your success or as your goal or as your metrics is that it's not you. Because your kids, when they get older, if you haven't noticed already, is they really don't like ideas of us making them little versions of ourselves. 
They're not just, in, they're not into it at all. Maybe they are when they're three or four, you know, when they like to get the, the, the broom and follow us and the little vacuum and the little just copy us. I mean, there's that window of time. Enjoy it because it doesn't last once they hit fifth grade. Right? If you've noticed that. So just use that maybe as a possible goal. And that might help you and your spouse, if you have one, get on the same page if you're trying to be biblical at all. Now, there are three ways that parents view their kids. We kind of talked about this before. One of them is symbols that reflect me, little extensions of myself. And the next one is idols that we serve. And sometimes that just fuels the entitlement. But I think a better way to look at this is trainees that we disciple. If you get a job in retail, uh, let's say McDonald's, they're going to be very specific about how you make the French fries. Here are 14 steps to making the French fries at McDonald's or In-N-Out or any place like that. And they're very specific. They don't look at that student as being expert. They look at them as being a trainee. And I would suggest that, that is what, how we should look at our kids, a trainee. Knows some stuff but doesn't know other stuff and that we're, our job as parents is to train them or disciple them. So instead of just seeing them as idols or symbols, extensions of ourselves, or idols that we're running around all over the place spending money on and serving, we need to look at them as trainees. Because then what that'll do is that'll set up the right metaphor. And I would suggest that a lot of people in our culture, including church-going folks, have settled for a cultured kid versus a capable kid. He has nice manners. He has nice teeth. We just paid all this money to go to orthodontist. He's getting pretty good grades. Pretty good friends. Cultured kid. A good Conejo Valley cultured kid. We're done. You might be misled because that cultured kid may not be capable. So when we start asking ourselves what makes a capable kid, we wind up with a different approach. And the cool thing is, we realize we don't have to do it all at once. The stuff I'm mentioning to you tonight is I want you to apply it gradually. Don't try to do everything at once, because it'll backfire. But for each child that you may have, they might be in a different stage of parenting. And when they're little, how many of you have kids that are zero through seven? Like newborns to seven. Okay. You spend a lot of time, because I've watched Nicole and Aaron with Ashton, physically involved in the life of this little kid. You know? And now, as a papa, you know, I have to go to the ibuprofen bottle a little bit more often, because I'm bending over, picking up this kid. He's only five and a half months old, but he's 27 and a half inches long, and I don't know how much he weighs, like 30 pounds or something. He's really big, and he's really young. But his dad and mom are tall. And so I'm going, yeah, a lot of this activity when they're little like that, zero through seven, is just keeping them alive. Which is why when you go to the Target parking lot and you're getting out of the car, you grab their hand and you try to keep somebody from running over them, right? And that's control. So when you're in this first stage of parenting, your role is just to you know, keep them alive and there's a lot of physical activity. We call that control. The next stage, how many of you are in with eight to 14-year-olds? Okay. We call this the coach stage. And a coach stage doesn't mean you're out on the field as much as you might be with the younger stage, but you might be encouraging your kids from the sidelines. 
And like AYSO always says, is we like parents to come and cheer, but we really don't want them out on the field, right? So you're coaching from the sidelines. And if the older your kid gets, the further they want you away from the sidelines, right? <laughs> like, could you just sit in the car, Mom? That kind of thing. So coaching. And then when they turn into 15-year-olds, sometimes this can happen earlier, too. They don't even want you to coach. I remember this experience when I took Brooke. I used to walk with her in the mall, the Oaks Mall, and I would just hold her hand when she was seven years old. And, or I didn't, and she'd reach up and grab my hand. And I go, this is so cool. I just cherish these moments because I knew they wouldn't last. But I remember walking to the mall when she was seven, holding her hand, and I don't even remember what we were shopping for. It wasn't important. And so I just wanted that to linger. And then when she got into the next phase, it's kind of like, Dad, could we not hold hands because I'm going to see some people from you know, middle school, and I don't want him to think I'm here with my dad. I go, well, can I walk with you? And she goes, yeah, but just don't touch me. <laughs> I said, okay. So I can kind of walk behind her, which seemed to help. Uh, and then when she got it to be 14, as a freshman, she goes, Dad, could you just not be in the mall at the same time as I am? Because I don't want anybody to know that I have a dad, let alone be seen with you. And uh, a, it hurts. So hopefully you'll feel my pain and you can understand because you give them all this good advice, and it's like a consultant. I'm, I actually serve as a consultant sometimes to businesses and organizations, and I talk about how to build healthy families and how to do work-life balance and things like this. And a lot of times I'll go into a company and organization where we'll finish the consultancy, you know, write up the recommendations, and you know, it'll be a 48-page thing or PowerPoint or whatever. They'll go, yeah, okay, great. They may or may not take my advice, and it hurts a little bit. But as long as the check clears, I'm good. But with teenagers, it's kind of like, yeah, Dad, I'll take your advice under you know, advisement, or I'll take your input under advisement. But you're not really sure if they're really going to do it. And that's kind of your role being a parent of a teenager. How many of you parents of teenagers? Yeah. Can you relate? Do you feel like sometimes a consultant, that they're just kind of going, uh-huh, uh-huh, and not, not intending to do it? Yeah. Yeah, so that's the role. If you're trying to control your teenagers, you could actually be creating more tension than you need to. So, in a home, you want to have family rules, but your style of parenting needs to change for each different developmental stage. For the younger ones, you're going to have more control. For the elementary ones, you're going to have kind of the coaching mentality. You still have guidelines and rules and consequences, but your style of relating to them it's going to be a little bit different, like a consultant. All I can see by your choices that you know you choose you chose to come in past curfew. Yes, I did because of blah 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 blah. That's okay. I understand because you were 15 minutes late. Next time you want to go out tomorrow night, probably. Yes, I do. Okay, you'll come in 30 minutes earlier. No big deal. That's my consultancy. So you don't have to let it escalate, but you're going to be you know strong enough to follow through. It's real clear. So a lot of people panic because what do you do when your kid turns 18? You know, are you done? Anybody here have an 18 to 22-year-old? Yeah. They know it all, don't they? <laughs> I was the same way. I was, I was, for a window of time there, I was brilliant. When I was 19, I think I knew everything. And my parents were idiots when I was 19. But when I graduated from college, I came back and met my parents, and man, they'd matured a lot, you know, <laughs> during that time. So what do you do? What's the fourth C when you're dealing with older adolescents like this? 
how do you influence these 18 and 19-year-olds that know it all? Do you want to guess what the fourth C is? A counselor. Close. Cash. Yeah. <laughs> Son, I can see your choices there, what you've been doing with the car, not returning the car with the gas put in like I've asked you to. So you've made a choice here to ride your bike. Dad, I'm 19. Well, no. My car, my name's on the title. No big deal. Do you need to put air in your bike? You know. Go ahead. So those are the different roles that you have, and I want you to discuss it at your tables. How can an understanding of the four C's help you to know your role at each stage of parenting? So you're kind of growing along with the kids, you're kind of flexing along with the kids. You might have four different kids in four different stages, and you kind of have, a, to have that style for each one. So how would that help you? So take two minutes to discuss that at your table. Okay, so how these four C's help you is they help you say to your child, my goal is to prepare you for life. And I wish I had the visual, I didn't do it uh, in this presentation, but basically it's a rectangle with a triangle going like this. And what you're basically saying is my turf, this triangle, as you get older, it gets smaller. My influence, because I don't, I don't want to be like following you to college and, you know, folding your clothes and making sure you clean your room. So my turf is going to get smaller. And guess what? As you get older, I, my goal is to prepare you, and your triangle gets bigger. So the job of the relaxed parent is to help your kids do more as you do less. So there are windows of time when your kid will really like that. Okay, And there are other times when your kids just want you to do everything for them. right? But when you show them that declining thing, or say, hey, you know, my role is changing. That's why it's going to be changing. I'm just announcing to you that I'm going to be less about controlling and more about preparing. So I'm shifting from controlling your life to preparing your life. If your kid is 10 on, on up, they will like that. And you're not saying, by the way, I'm going to abandon you at college tomorrow. You don't want to freak them out. But you're just showing them that as they get older, they assume more responsibility, they get more freedom, they get more choices but they also have to have more ownership over their life. So this is when they get into, let's say, sixth grade, and they go, Mom, I forgot my lunch. You say, no, oh, that's too bad. I wonder how you're going to fix it, because I'm not bringing you the lunch. There's one mom that really had a hard time with this. I was talking about, as they get older, you need to let them suffer the consequences. And she said, well, you know, I make my lunch for my son every day, because I want him to eat healthy, and... He keeps forgetting it. And the other day he called me from school and said, Mom, I forgot my lunch again. He goes, I really don't want to have to stop in the middle of my day and you know, bring him his lunch because he'd done it again a second time in a week. And I said, well, yeah, just next time, just say, I'm sorry, you're just going to have to figure out something else, bring money or ask a friend. And I said, well, so what did you do? She goes, I took him his lunch. I go, well, how old's your son? And she goes, he's a sophomore at San Diego State. True story. 
I said, lady, give it up. A little too much smothering, don't you think? And she was in this angst like she had done the wrong thing, thinking, because she actually delivered the lunch, but she was just thinking that the idea that maybe she would let him suffer without having lunch. So this kid, kid lived at home, obviously, because you know, she waits on him. And she hadn't prepared him for life. And he's a sophomore at college, for goodness sakes. So I said, stop making his lunch altogether. Well, he doesn't know how to make lunch. If he's faced with the inevitability of starving, he'll figure out how to make a peanut butter sandwich. He'll be very resourceful. So I did see her later on, because I went back to that uh, school, and she said, yes, I've given up. I've retired from making his lunch. How's he doing? He's still alive. So that was good, good to know. So, he's thinner. He's thinner. Yeah, probably is. I didn't ask that. So that's not your job as a parent. So what is your job as a parent? Your job is not to make lunch for college students. But what is your job? Ever thought about this? Yeah. To shepherd. To shepherd, Absolutely. So it's not just to tutor to get good grades, not just to, to coach so they do great sports, but it's actually to kind of shepherd, probably shepherd their heart. And I would suggest that a word, at least for Christian parents, if you're a person of faith, um, or you're you know, looking into that, probably the best role, the best job description for a parent is to be a discipler. And I would encourage you to think of it on this continuum. Punishment, <clears throat> discipline, discipleship. Punishment is just extinguishing bad behavior. Like, I'm going to spank you if you do that again. Or I'm going to take that thing away from you. All right? So just like that kind of approach. Not that that's bad, but it's punishment. Discipline is kind of here in the middle. And sometimes we approach discipline like with this idea, like, if I ever catch you doing that again, you're busted. Well, what is the kid here? I got away with it. I got away with it. What about how the parents said that? If I ever catch you. Yeah, you're actually rewarding, you know, duplicity. And the kid goes, you know, I'm going covert. Covert ops. Going underneath. Going under. The more I can be deceptive, the better I, I can be. I have more freedom. I can pull this off. So we're actually encouraging the kid, you know, if I catch you. So some people look at discipline like that. And I, I think punishment, we need punishment, we need discipline, that's okay. But over here on this end of the continuum is really discipleship. And discipleship, I think, is the best place to be. Because you really can't control a kid's behavior, so sometimes punishment doesn't work, and discipline can work. But really, if we're thinking in terms of discipleship, then we're going to be guiding our kid from the inside out. And my definition for discipleship is that. It's a relationship. It's not just... You know, image management. We have a lot of parents in this area that are very much concerned about image management when it comes to parenting. I don't, don't let anybody know that we're coming to see you as the family coach because we don't want it to get out in our cul-de-sac that we're all screwed up. You know. Well, we're all screwed up. All of us in this planet. So what do you, why do you pretend? We all have, you know, problems. Sin. Sin is a great common denominator. <laughs> so why are we pretending? So an intimate personal relationship designed for growth and learning through imitation, dialogue, and observation. So if we think of discipleship as a 
conversation, a relationship. You're going to learn through imitation. We'll talk about it. We'll observe. What I like about this is it kind of removes the idea of my kids need to be perfect and I need to be perfect. Which is why on Sunday I talked about one of the areas of being consistent is having the Holy Spirit control you. And sometimes I would discipline my kids in anger. And my point on Sunday was that anger nullifies effective discipline. So we're getting ready to go on a trip, and the girls were fighting. Nicole and Brooke were fighting. They were uh, probably in first grade and third grade. And you know how it is, the tension, you're trying to pack the car, and they were fighting and actually just hitting each other and just going for it. And I said, okay, you guys just sit on the couch, opposite ends of the couch, and just watch Nickelodeon and just don't hit each other. Have some self-control. So I walk out, finish packing the car, come back in, and they're watching Nickelodeon. And right in front of them is Bingo, our dog, our black lab, and he had made a mess right on the floor. It was brand new carpet. And I just freaked out. I lost my self-control, and I dropped a few golf words on him, you know, and just yelling at him, what's wrong with you? Blankety, blank, 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 blank. What? The, why didn't you let the dog out? And they're like, what? So I made him clean it up, and after a while, Brooke walks out, and under her breath, she goes, looks like somebody could use a little self-control. <laughs> she was right. I was talking about self-control, but really, I needed it. So I sat down, we cleaned up the mess. I said, you're right. I need self-control and getting angry over that. You guys need self-control and fighting. Uh, and we all need self-control to remember to let the dog out, all right? Because, you know, we're going to have a mess here if we don't. So that way we're kind of learning together. Discipleship then is that we're both kind of under the authority of Christ, the authority of Scripture, and let's learn a fruit of the Spirit, self-control, together. So it's not like I got it totally together. Clearly I don't. So here's just the contrast. And I'm not saying discipline is a bad thing. I'm saying discipline is a good thing. But if you want to have the kind of impact on your kid that goes beyond even the years that you have them at home, look at the contrast here. Discipline is telling your child something, whereas discipleship is training your child. Training is best done by modeling. And then, so discipline might focus just on their behavior, whereas discipleship focuses on their personal growth internally and externally. Discipline focuses on the external, and emphasizes control a little bit more. And discipleship is more of an influence approach. Because you really can't, we really can't control our kids. As soon as they go away, and they like to do sleepovers and stuff like that, you really don't have control at somebody else's house, right? So if you're focused on controlling them 24-7, it can become very you know, paranoid for you because... It's better to train our kids to have that control from the inside out. So when they go over to do the sleepover at somebody's house in, house in fifth or sixth grade, and the person goes, hey, let's watch this movie, which is inappropriate, then they could say, well, I really don't want to, or I'm not allowed to, or no, let's do something else. And that's what you want, because that's an internal influence coming from the inside out. Whereas discipline might go, hey, let's just have compliance. You know, Why can't we just all get along and follow these rules? I mean, that's good. That's better than nothing. But... It actually would be better if we had this cooperative, team-oriented you know, kid that says, what can I do to help? 
And then discipline focuses on submission, which is great. Kids need to learn to be submissive. But I think discipleship just takes it up one more notch and says, you know, how can we, how can you, speaking to the child, be a mentor to somebody else from what you've learned? So the parents mentoring and modeling, and, but we're also passing that along. Maybe you could be a source of influence on somebody else's life. And so discipleship allows that mentoring. And then child focus is just discipline. But discipleship says, don't we all need to grow in grace? We came up with a family motto not too long ago. We had a really long one. I was writing the book for Focus on the Family, uh, family Traditions. And in there, I advocate for having a family mission statement. So Suzanne and I were going, we need to work on ours a little bit more. So we worked on it, came out with three or four sentences. And then I could never remember it. People say, yeah, I read in your book, your family mission statement. What was that? I'm like, where's the book? It was just, <laughs> it was too complex. It's like a business has a mission statement that nobody knows or remembers what it said. And so I go, well, that's not working. And the problem is, if you get that book now, it's still in the book. Uh, but I don't remember what it says. And so for Christmas years ago, my, our daughters gave me a, a U2 CD. And in there, there's a song, a track called Grace. You know that song, Grace? I go, this song is beautiful. So I'm listening to it. So the day after Christmas, I called my girls. I said, thank you for the CD. It's beautiful. Hey, you know that track, Grace? I think that would make a better family motto. We call it motto now. And they go, yeah, that's perfect. Because grace finds beauty in everything. So for our home, we kind of want to both be under grace. So if we're both under grace, both parent and child can grow and learn and be more Christ-like, and we don't have to be perfect. And it actually keeps us from having a shame-based family. A shame-based family is all about being perfect and maintaining the image and telling our kids, whether implicitly or not, sometimes we say this, sometimes we imply it, I've got my act together and you don't. Versus... Dad's got some room to grow, and you do too. Let's work together to the glory of Christ because we're all into grace. So if you walk into our home in Newbury Park, you will see on the soffit of our home, we had an artist friend paint it on there, grace finds beauty in everything because we really do believe that. A while ago, some bad things happened to our family, some uncomfortable things happened to our family, and I'm sitting there kind of going, dang it. Seems like there's like a whole series of bad things. And I'm sitting there at our breakfast table. I go, why is this happening? I'm feeling pick, picked on and victimized and kind of irritated, drinking my coffee. And I looked up at that motto and I went, oops. Because <laughs> you know, Deuteronomy 6 says, these things that you've seen and heard from me, the commandments, impress them on your own heart first. John talked about this last week. Then impress them on your children. Talk about them when you get up in the morning when you walk along the way, when you sit at home and when you lie down at night and tie them around your wrist and put them over your doorways so that you will never forget. So we just, there's the Shema. I believe that literally. So we wrote that above our doorway. This, by the way, was a little wrist thing that I got from some friends in Ecuador when I was doing a family retreat there. And they said, we want you to always remember us uh, thank you for helping us be healthy families. We'd like to give you this 
you know, thing that says Ecuador, a wristband. And so that helps me remember them, helps me remember to pray for my friends at Ecuador. So those things actually work. So I'm sitting there at the breakfast table having like a little wine fest, wine tasting, I guess you could say, and just being my pitiful self. And then I saw our family motto, and it got me out of that funky, sad uh, state of mind. So, discipline versus discipleship. Any questions or comments on that? Make sense? Okay. So, next one. There we go. Why discipline isn't enough. It's good to discipline our kids, like go to your room, you're, you're hitting your brother. But we really want to move to discipleship because the battle for our kids is not for their heads, but for their hearts. So the danger of raising nice kids is essentially that. What can we do to guide our kids' hearts to be Christ-like in the area of you know, character, primarily, and then all those other things secondarily? So one way to do that is to start developing your vision for your child. That's why we talked about that earlier. Remember our Oregon trip? To actually start writing some of those things down. Maybe you want to use the circle thing with Luke 2.52. Or maybe you want to use another approach. But ask, actually write stuff down. And probably write it down. Maybe you might want to have a different vision for each child. You might want to have one vision. It really doesn't matter. Just start somewhere. There's something powerful about writing things down. It engages the brain. It's more likely to happen. and engages both hemispheres of the brain. Helps you remember it more. Makes it more real. So write down your vision. George Barna surveyed some families about eight years ago. And he asked them, what are the priorities for your parenting with your kids? And the number one priority that came out was, I want my kid to have a good education. We want them to have good academics, clearly, what we talked about. The second one that came through is, I want them to feel loved. Well, obviously, that's a good one. We want our kids to feel loved. The third one was, I want them to be happy. This was a group of Christian parents, thousands of them. What's wrong with those three things? Yeah, God's left off the list. You know, we want our kids to be loved. We want them to be happy. We want them to have good education. But what about moral and spiritual development? It was number eight on the list. Didn't even make the top five. And this is George Barna, who's a Christian researcher, interviewing thousands of Christian parents. Oh, education is really important. I want them to feel loved. I want them to be happy. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, I also want them to have morals and love God. Hmm. So what we want to do is probably move those up a little bit on the list. And just go, what can we do to develop character and this internal approach to parenting versus the external? Because what would happen if your kid doesn't make the team, they get cut from the team. What would happen if your kid just consistently brings home C's and occasionally D's? What would happen if your kid just has funky looking hair and, and other people kind of make fun of him or her because they're, they're different looking and they like weird stuff and they're just quirky and they're kind of embarrassing. Some of you know what I'm talking about. They look like people of Walmart, but they're in your family. Have you seen those videos? <clears throat> yeah. So you might, might be kind of going, yeah, can, can we just stay home? We don't want to take him out in public. You know, I don't know. What happens if they're all of those things? You can still have a wonderful kid that can have this amazing character and still have all those other things that other people would say are really important. 
And that kid could still go out and do amazing things in the world. Chances are he or she might. So, how to do that? You've got to come up with a blueprint. So, what you want to do with your blueprint is be thinking about these questions of what can I do to reach the heart, the mind, and the body? Similar to what we talked about with Luke 2.52. And so one of the things I would suggest is before we can pass along vision to our children, we must have one for ourselves. If you want to model for your kids a well-rounded life, maybe you can look at this pretty much a blank slate of the year before us now, 2014, and go, you know what, for this year, you know, if you don't want to do all four, you can just pick these three there up on the screen. For my heart, what I'm really trying to work on is I'm really trying to be more compassionate. What is it that you'd like to do? Maybe you'd like to have a family conversation about that. What can we do as a family to be more compassionate? Hey, you know what, we need to be healthier. You know, what can we do to up it just a notch a little bit to eat healthier? What would happen if we just stopped buying Cokes? Kids are going to go crazy. What happened if we just stopped buying chips? Whatever it is. What can we do to you know, inspire our minds a little bit? And maybe have a conversation if your kids are old enough to, to talk about that. So that will help you get a vision. It'll help you get some ideas. Uh, and it'll help you get a target. Proverbs 127 says this. Children are like arrows, and blessed is a man and woman whose quiver is full. Children, Our children are like arrows, and blessed is the parent whose quiver is full. So I need a volunteer to help me illustrate this part about quiver and arrows. And so who would like to help me with this? Okay, come on up. So the first point that we just said from Psalms 127, let's go up here so they can see it better. And your name, sir? Mark. Mark. And Mark, do you have health insurance? Uh, okay. Yes. Okay, this is Mark. And where are you from, Mark? Here. Right here Gura. in Agura. You want to hold that for me? Okay. So, children are like arrows. And my lovely assistant, Mark, is holding the target. And so what we want to do is, you know, kind of take that vision and kind of take that target that we talked about and start defining some of the stuff. Like, Suzanne and I disagreed on what the target was initially, the bullseye. And then originally... We're like, we want a different things. But then we realize we really want our kids to have a heart and a passion for Christ, like you guys are talking about. Like that lady that you're sitting next to said that, you know. Exactly. So that was our bullseye. So this is your child. They are God-given, and this is your quiver. And blessed is the man or woman whose quiver is full of them. There's three in here right now. And this is your job as a parent. By the way, when I travel... I try not to drop this because it's considered by the TSA a weapon. So when I get on the plane, this is what I do. I just take this off, and it's not a weapon. Now when I put it back on, it's considered by the TSA a weapon. So I just thought that was kind of strange. So this is your child. In Proverbs 22, 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is older, he will not depart from it. Which means, bring your kid to a wana. A lot of years, and when he gets older, he'll be perfect. Is that true? We want to believe in it. We want to believe in it. Some of us do believe in it, but it's not what the Bible says. The Bible, that's from you know, both of these verses, Psalms 127, Proverbs 22, 6, are wisdom sayings. So they're not formulas. 
Have you noticed that kids, when they figure out a formula, they blow it up? You know? If you're on to formula parenting, like, you know, one plus one equals two, I can just do that with my kid. They'll go, you know, watch me mess this up. So any kind of cookie-cutter approach or formal approach will mostly backfire with kids. And if anybody says, I got all the answers for all the kids in parenting, including myself, don't believe them, okay? Because there's going to be some kid somewhere that's going to figure out their answers and sabotage it. So, but principles. Principles in Psalms 127 and the principle of Proverbs 22.6. Proverbs 22.6 is this. Train up a child, which actually word train means to aim a child. In the way he should go, it's his way, not your way. And it's the way that God created him. In the way that God created him. And the word, the Hebrew word there, means the unique bent of the arrow. In the way is the Hebrew word for the bent of, of the arrow. Some arrows are bent more than others. Have you noticed that? In other words, some of your kids are really bent. Um, and so you have to make allowances for their uniqueness. Because you kind of think when you're a young parent, hey, this kid was like this. It's actually pretty easy. Nicole was pretty easy. So I expected in the next, cult, the next kid to be pretty easy. Not so. She was really bent. And she had a strong will. And I had to figure out how to parent her differently than the first one. Anyway, a lot of parents have a quiver, and it's a titanium quiver. And they go, these are my kids, and I'm not letting them out of the quiver. The world's a bad place. These are my kids. God gave them to me. I'm not, not going to let anybody mess them up or get them out of the quiver. The reason why God gave you these arrow children is they're on loan. <laughs> and you are to prepare them for his kingdom, not yours. And they don't belong to you. They're loners. Okay, So let's just say that together. They don't belong to me. They are loners. Now say it with conviction. They are don't belong to me. They are loners. Because there are some days you're going to love that. They're not mine. They're on loan. It's just a rental. Because <laughs> really, for a season, they're home. So, I know this is... if. I'd never do this talk for mothers of preschoolers because it totally freaks them out. Just this part here. You're going to take them out of the quiver? They go, no! All this separation anxiety. All right. So you take them out of the quiver. You take a look at the arrow and you notice the unique bent of it. You make allowances for that unique bent. You measure for the cultural winds of the time because they're always blowing. You have to compensate for that. And you've already defined your target you know, what you're shooting for. And your job as a parent is to create tension in the life of the arrow child. This is good parenting right here. Question. Does your arrow child like the tension that you're creating in his or her life? No. No. Does your child need the tension that you're creating in his or her life? Yes. yes. Otherwise, they never leave the bow. And you don't want to have one of these kids named Kevin that lives in your basement when he's 42 years old, okay? That's not a good thing because you didn't want to have, like, tension in their life. All right, so let's see if we can hit the target. My vision's a little off today, but let's just see. Okay, I hit the blue. That's pretty good. You know, but I really, it's not, you know, it really wasn't that good, and some of you might be disappointed, but that's why you have more than one child, okay? <laughs> the first one's a throwaway, Okay. He goes, sorry, honey, I'm just practicing on you. Let's see if we can do better with the second born. Okay, aim. Now, what a lot of parents don't 
like to do is, you know, they have this idea that my kid's an arrow and they're to be used outside the quiver, but they, they aim and they pull and they don't release. It's like the mother who's still making her kid lunch when he's a sophomore at school, college. They're not releasing. Now, what's the problem with that? They might release, but then they try to run along the arrow and guide it. towards. So here's my challenge. Release the arrow by faith and pray it towards the target. Define the target, create the tension, release it, but pray that arrow towards the target. I really experienced this when I dropped Brooke off at San Diego State, happened to be, and I'm walking away, and my wife is, was very annoying, Suzanne, because she's doing this like Irish dance. Like, she was so happy to be done with her and be, be, you know, I'll have her go to school. And I'm going, I don't think we're done. I don't think she's ready. I don't think I've prepared her well enough. And I'm walking to the parking garage, just feeling all this sense of failure, kind of going, she's not ready. She's not ready. And Suzanne said, release! <laughs> exact words. I went, okay. So then I had to pray from there, from the middle of that courtyard, to the parking garage. God, would you just guide her in the way that we trained her the arrow to go? And she did great. She called like two days later and was all excited about doing stuff. She goes, Dad, I joined two groups. I'm going to church on Sunday morning, Tuesday night, and Thursday. I'm going, well, don't get too religious. You know, <laughs> I didn't say that. <clears throat> so she did fine. So let's see how we can do with our second born. Okay, we're creating tension in the life of the arrow child. We're aiming Get it on the thing here. And we are releasing. I hit the bullseye! Boy, it's a good thing I practiced all afternoon. Okay. Yeah, I got closer. They didn't even notice that. So let's give a hand to our lovely assistant. And here, you get a free copy of the book. And for $15, I'll sign it. Okay. Okay, any questions about that uh, insightful demonstration that we had? Does it make sense? Kids are arrows. Yeah, go. Cool. What time frame? What, what's the timing do you recommend in that release? It's progressive release because sometimes you're going to have kids that are 10 and you're going to release them to this small experience. And it's kind of like if you think of it as concentric circles. And so when they're, babe, I mean, when they're toddlers, the circle's this big. When they're first graders, it's this big. And when they're third graders, it's this big. And fifth graders, it's this big. And then middle school, it gets quite a bit bigger. And high school, it gets bigger. So it's concentric circles of influence and choice, and you're releasing them. So when they finally hit that stage, when they're 18 and going away to college, hopefully, uh, they're prepared. So the answer is it's progressive. And then the beauty of that is I actually use that concentric circle thing. And then when they mess up, they go, oh, you know what? That's too bad, because your world just got smaller. <laughs> I'd like for you to get bigger, but we're just going to kind of tighten it up a little bit. I'd like for you to get it bigger, so it'll be a while, but so far right now, it, your world got smaller. Good question. What else? Yeah. Did you have a question? No. Okay. Yeah. Would you define the tension as just like the teaching them the discipline not making them Yeah, the tension is not trying to be the cool parent and have them like you. Mm-hmm. And actually have them kind of not like you for a while. And you'd be okay with it really hard for us to do that. 
Because if you're going, we are willfully choosing tension in our relationship for the benefit of our kid. I'm not saying be mean to them. But they're going, but I want to stay out. All the other parents let their kids stay out. You're the meanest mom ever. Do you want me to have no, no friends? You suck. You know, can you imagine a kid child like, talking like that? Okay, well, they do. <clears throat> and you walk away kind of going, uh, I am a bad parent. But that's creating tension in their life. And you have to get past that moment to know that you want them to release and get off the boat. And sometimes it's good just to tell them that. I'm doing this to create tension in your life. Because if I didn't have tension in your life, you would be able to be propelled to be on your own. You don't have to fully understand that. You don't even have to agree with it. But that's what I'm doing. And they get on the phone and talk to somebody right away. This is what I did. Was it okay? Get back up. Because if, you know, if you're dealing with that alone, sometimes you can feel very, you know, like you did the wrong thing. So what I'm saying is be willing to be the parent who in that moment creates the tension and doesn't cave in and become the wimpy parent to be the cool parent. we got way too many of those anyway. Because what happens when we get to be the cool parent, then we wind up with a whole bunch of unguided kids who haven't launched. We have a whole valley full of kids like that. Other questions? Okay, children like arrows to be used outside the quiver, aim, pull, release. So here's your question. What is your target? So for your, for your homework, you want to start working on that target. What do we want our kid to be like when they're 18? Or you can go to 21 if you want. The problem is when they're 18, they go, I'm legal now. I can get a tattoo, you know, buy cigarettes. I can vote, go to Vegas. Probably be 21 to go to Vegas in the casino. Yeah. But they're still not ready for life. Okay. So, one of the best ways of getting them there is the ABCs. And I use this every week in my coaching practice. This is what I used with Damien's uh, parents. We mentioned not the first night, but the second and third, fourth, 14th and 18th visit. Uh, we went through the uh, ABCs. Basically, here's what it is. You determine an attribute that you want to see in the life of your child. If you're married, discuss it with your spouse. If you're a single parent, ask somebody that you know, that knows your kids, hey, what kind of attribute do you think you know, Junior should have in his or her life? Well, maybe one self-control, because he's kind of losing it. So you pick an attribute there that you want to see in their life, a character quality, and then you say, okay, let's work on self-control or ownership or um, compassion. Those would be three I use a lot. And so you might have a kid. We're just focusing on one child now. So let's go with uh, self-control. So you write self-control. What would be the behavior? Well, you'll stop swinging the cat around by its tail because that's you know, hurting the cat. So be kind to your brother and to animals. So you put in the attribute would be self-control, the behavior would be, be kind to your family members, including the cat. And then the consequence could be something positive, and the consequence could be something negative. When you're kind to the cat and your brother, guess what? You get to stay out here and engage with them and enjoy the family. Camaraderie and watch TV with us, or play games, video games. 
when you camp, then you're going to spend a certain amount of time in your room. So what you do is you pick just two attributes per child. Now the beauty of this is if your child is eight or nine, you've got ten years to build into their life all these attributes. You don't have to do it all tomorrow. Um, so what you want, the reason why I say only do two is because kids can only hear you talk about two things. How many of you are managers or leaders at your work? Okay, so most of us who've been managers or leaders at work have done performance reviews with our employees. And everybody I know, all the MBA people and all the people that talk about human performance, all these different kinds of things, uh, management, leadership, say, if you're doing a performance review and your employee needs to improve in certain areas, how many areas are you supposed to limit that to? Areas needing improvement. Remember? Two. Three, the, the employee feels picked on, and four, they feel like quitting. And these are employees that could be 30 or 40 years old. So if you have a child, and you say, you know what, we have some concerns here. Here's a list of eight things that we want you to improve in. They'd be like, oh, man, I'm a bad kid. But if you say to that same child, you know, you have some of these things pretty well together, but it's our job to prepare you and to kind of strengthen some of these things you got going. This is good. It's kind of like weightlifting. You can pick up the bar, but there are no, you know, there's no weight on it. And so it's good that you can pick up 15 pounds. But you know what? We'd like to add some weight. We'd like for you to get stronger in this area. So we're going to start where you're at now, and we're going to try to help you get stronger over the years. And so, but for right now, for the next two months, we're going to work on this attribute of self-control. And then this is what it looks like in terms of behavior, and then here's the consequence. And then it, once the, you see an improvement towards about 65 or 70%, you party. You go, yay, look at this. You're like three quarters through with this attribute. Super. I know you're 10, and you, know, you don't have to like perfect on the self-control because they're 10. So once you've seen some progress and you're about 75% or less, even 60% about where you'd like to go, just say, that's good. We're going to move on to another one what'll happen is they'll self-motivate to complete because it's been positive. Now what happens when you have a kid and they are, let's say, older than 10 and you can't think of a consequence? Ever been there? I get this a lot. So what I did was I spent years, oh, I gave you the book. In the back of the nice kid's book is this chart with all the answers in it. It's like the teacher's book. So I just gave you the blanks here because I want you to buy the book. Right? <laughs> So in the book are a whole bunch of consequences that I compiled from parents and that we've actually used ourselves. So it's like, if you don't want to read the whole book, that's it there. No, I, I don't. Because I, I can actually remember them, some of them. <laughs> but I had this kid in my office. He, his name is Trevor. And he, his mom came in with him, a single mom. And she goes, I'm just having a hard time with Trevor because he's out of control. There's self-control. And so we need to sit down. So I sat down with him. I said, hey, Trevor, you know, what are the areas that you can use some self-control in? He goes, well, you know, my mom's always on my case about, you know, my language and, you know, not coming in when uh, she wants me to come in. She's got something about me not skateboarding past 6 o'clock. I don't know. She's all hung up on that. I don't know what her deal is. I go, okay, well, we'll work on that. Um, so before we had a chance to even to finish the ABCs, we just got the A and the B. The, the attribute would be self-control and then the behavior would be, you know, let's work on your mouth and what you say and coming in with your skateboard when your mom gets home. And then we weren't even sure what the consequence should be because we ran out of time. So his mom calls me two days later in a panic. She goes, I can't believe what Trevor did. 
I go, what did he do? She goes, he's totally lost self-control. I go, wow. Well, we didn't come up with a consequence. Well, we really need to. And I go, well, what happened? Well, I drove into the cul-de-sac. He was skateboarding with his buddies in the cul-de-sac. And I said, come on in at 6 o'clock. We're going to eat dinner. He says, I don't want to. And she goes, come on in. And he goes, I don't want to. She goes, come on in or you're grounded. She goes, I don't want to. Blankety blank, blank, blank. F-bomb, F-bomb, F-bomb. And so he comes in. He takes the skateboard and throws it across uh, the uh, entryway. And it hits something. And she goes, take the skateboard and put it out in the garage. You're not riding it for a while. I'm going to lock it in my trunk. And you've lost skateboarding. Another F-bomb from Trevor. This kid's 12. <clears throat> And so his mom could see that he was escalating, losing control. She's in the kitchen trying to fix dinner. And he comes in and starts yelling at her. And she goes, no, you're supposed to be working on self-control. You know the rule. When I come in, you're supposed to just come in and not give me all this drama like you are. And he goes, well, you're always picking on me. You don't let me skateboard with my friends. And I really need a skateboard, blah, blah, blah. And he just got mad. He picked up a knife and he threw it at her. And she just kind of moved her head and it stuck in the wall beside her. True story. 12-year-old, threw a knife at his mom. So she calls me in a panic because she's a single mom. The dad's totally checked out of the story. She couldn't call him. She goes, what do I do? And I said, well, get him in there to the office tomorrow and tell him to quit throwing knives at you. Otherwise, we're calling the cops. And she goes, okay. So I don't even know if she fed him dinner that night. The next day he comes in, somewhat remorseful. And I go, so uh, how's it going with the self-control? He goes, not so good. I go, when did you lose it? And he goes, when she told me to come in and stop skateboarding. I go, yeah. He goes, I really need to skateboard because I have ADD and it really helps me get out all my you know, energy. And I go, I understand. So how about if you get home from school and you can just skate until 6 and then when she drives in, you just don't say anything. You just bring your board and go, see you later, dudes, and get in the house. He goes, I can do that. Because if you can do that, you're making yourself do something you don't really want to do, and that's self-control. That's good. He goes, yeah, I can do that. I go, good. What should your consequence be if you don't do that? He goes, I don't know. And I said, do you have anything? To the mom, she goes, I don't know. I said, well, let's just sit here and think about it, Trevor, because I want you to come up with the consequence. If your child is older than 10, you want them to be involved in shaping the consequence. Why? Because they hate it. Because in that moment, they have to hypothetically take ownership for their behavior, hypothetically. So that's what I was going to do with Trevor. I was going to get up in this kid's grill, and I was a little bit angry with him, righteous anger, of course, because he had thrown this knife at his mom. And I just wanted to get up in his grill and go, dude, you got to take ownership for your behavior, because that behavior was out of control, and you can land you in juvenile hall had you hit her. This is serious. So what is a good consequence? That's exactly how I talked to him. Probably a little bit more sterner than even that. So he's sitting there kind of going, what? So he's sitting here. I'm looking at the clock over his head. I'm going, we got 12 minutes and I'm getting paid anyway. So I'm just going to sit here and burn this kid, get up in his grill until he comes up with a consequence. His mom was like shifting and all uncomfortable <laughs> with the silence. But I wanted him to think it through. So it's like tick, 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 tick. So it's like eight minutes of silence. <laughs> And I'm just going, I think it's working. And he goes, so after eight minutes, he goes, uh, I think I got something. I go, okay, good. What is it? He goes, I got to work on self-control, but I got to be able to skate after school. And I go, okay. So when my mom uh, drives in, then I'll just go ahead and uh, bring my skateboard in. No big deal. And 
I'll be cool. I get to skate. I go, that's the reward. Got it. Super. What happens if you mess up? And he goes, then the negative consequence is I'd have to make dinner for my mom and sister. His mom and I go, say, what? <laughs> we would have never in a million years imagined that the punishment would be you got to make dinner for mom and your sister. And I go, I'm sorry, Trevor. I never would have thought of that. Why did you think of that? And he goes, well, my mom, you know, she's a single mom. She works all day. And she comes home dead tired. He says, look at her. <laughs> Typical middle schooler. <laughs> look at her. Or she's all crying. Because <clears throat> she comes home, she's all tired. And I'm sure she, the last, last thing she wants to do is make dinner for me. But she makes herself make dinner. Every night at 6 o'clock. My mom has good self-control. And I don't. So if I lose it, and I don't come in with my skateboard, when she drives in, then i got to make dinner for mom and my sister. And she goes, yeah. And then you got to clean up the dishes, too. And he goes, okay. And then she said, well, what about this, the talk? What about the swearing? And he goes, ah, yeah, I thought of one for that, too. So if I, for some reason, let out an F-bomb in front of mom or sister then what I have to do is, at the meal that I've prepared, I have to say something nice to each of them. <laughs> like that was like, he's choking on it. <laughs> something nice to my mom and you know, something nice to my sister. I go, okay, let's write that down. So we actually wrote down the ABCs. I saw him two weeks later. I go, how's it going? He goes, good. Haven't had to cook a meal yet. <laughs> Super. Saw him six months later. Trevor, how's it going? Super. Haven't had to cook a meal yet. He stopped coming to me. I didn't see him for a while, longest time. His mom uh, called me a year later because now this kid's in high school. How's it going with Trevor? She goes, great. He hasn't had to cook a meal yet. By making the child come up with a consequence, positive and negative, they tend to remember it. They think of what would be the carrot, so to speak, and what would be the stick. By the way, you have to explain that metaphor because most kids are missing that in school somewhere. Uh, the carrot, of course, is the incentive, the positive thing. The stick is the negative thing. Uh, so what would be the incentive, positive thing, and what would be the negative thing that would motivate for you? And then have them write it down. You can even do this with preschool kids, but instead of writing it down, you visualize it. I do this with preschool kids. So when you do the ABCs, they are taking ownership for their behavior but the long-term effect, <clears throat> effect is it's discipleship because you're ba actually building in the character qualities of Christ into their life progressively over time. What questions do you have about the ABCs? That's basically the theme of the whole book. So if you don't want to read the book, just do that. <laughs> Okay, and here's another video that we were going to look. This one was really funny. I'll have to show it to you some other time. Hey, 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 sleepyhead, wake up, wake up, wake up. Wake up, up baby, you okay. wake up. Call him, baby. He's, he's a teenager. He's always, you'll always be mommy's baby. You won't, you won't. Listen, here, uh, you've been on the couch, you've been playing your PX7 and your Nintendonk or whatever it is, all right? Uh, but we needed to have a little talk, all Just right? Just a little talk. A little Just family talk. want to nip some things in the bud before that. Don't you roll your eyes at me, young man. How many times have I told you not to do that? We can make this easier. We can uh, make it hard. It's uh, your choice. Look, all right, there's some things we need to go over because it's basically essentially like this. Don't do as we do. Do as we're about to say. Yes, right? yes. Do as we say, not as we do. I typed up some uh, family values 
for you that you need to have before you head out the door, which I hope, thank the Lord, is going to be sooner than later. He doesn't mean that. I do mean that. No. I said it. I you mean stay that. stay as long I mean as that. you need to. The first thing to help you in life is uh, the company that you keep. You need good friends with good moral character. Your father is right. We are kind of concerned about some of your friends. Yeah, yeah, they they yeah. don't have the best character. I think you might want to just check those things out. Well, what, were you, what? what did you just say to us? What about our friends? All right, they're trashy. Yeah, they're trashy. They are. Yeah. Our friends are trash. Yeah, but we've known them since college. You don't, don't throw you can't life throw them away. like that. You can't throw them away. We want to try to fix them. We're too. trying to help you do as we say. Not as we do. <sighs> the next thing is money, all right? You need to watch your money. You are spinning it like it's growing on trees, he and has, it's not. He has no money. He we, has, he has no what money. we give him. That, that's got to stop at some you point. You need to be more responsible with your money, young man. You you need to get off that couch and go get a job. But hear me on this. Money is the root of all evil, and that's why we have none. We have credit up to our eyeballs, but we have no okay. money. Mitchie, hurry it up. I want to go to the casino. All right, all right, all right. The last thing is, uh, well, there's a whole list of things, but I could go to uh, smoking. Go ahead. Tell me about smoking. Do not smoke. It will... I know, I know I smoke, but I, I didn't... I. If I could go back and never start, I wouldn't. I'm trying to stop. I've got five patches on right now. It's like kissing an ashtray. Listen to me. Stop the smoking, all right? It'll just ruin everything, okay? If I could have my aunt come back from the dead, she would tell you, stop smoking. Kissing an ashtray? You'll want to talk. Why don't you brush occasionally? <sighs> all right. Son, if we could sum it all up for you in a nice little nutshell, it's just this. Do as we say, not as we do. All right, I'm gonna go get a cold one. Get me one. And you know what, let's just go to the casino. So now it's Q&A time, and I think we gotta go pick up the little gremlins pretty soon. Uh, did they get down at eight? Okay, so I think we have like five minutes for Q&A. So, any of you have any answers? Because I have some questions. <laughs> Open form, any topic, even one we didn't discuss. <clears throat> so what are your thoughts on how do you move past the externals into the heart issue stuff? Like, what are some things that you've learned over the years is to move conversations from, like, stop behaving like this to what's driving that behavior? I had to confront that with my own problem myself, um, with my daughter, because <clears throat> they uh, were athletes, and they were in a game. This is just recreational sports. And they'd done, they'd won everything, and they were in the championship, and this is Brooks' team. And um, then they lost the championship. And I was disappointed, and I was sad, and you know, on the verge of crying, you know. Because <laughs> I had these high aspirations for it. And I'm just like, ah, mad, and came out. And, and she said, Dad, look it. I go, what? She goes, we got strawberries for the team treat. It's like right after they lost. And I'm like, that's great. I'm glad you got strawberries. I'm thinking, glad you got strawberries for the losers. <clears throat> and I saw that she was the mentor for me in that moment. And so later on I said, I'm so glad that you took the high road of just being grateful, even in a loss, for that. She goes, not basketball is basketball. I'm just grateful that we have these strawberries. I said, well, you showed gratefulness in a tough situation. I go, that's really good. Because I was reacting the other way. So sometimes you can use yourself as like a bad example. <laughs> and then they'll be like, ah, no big deal, Dad. It's just, you know, whatever. And that's what I did. Because I, I just wanted to be real honest with her. Just say, you know, I was thinking 
the achievement and winning, and you were thinking, just let, it's just basketball. The season's over. And it's just rec league. And look at these strawberries. So she had embraced the moment of gratefulness. So then later on, I was able just to affirm her for that. So when you see little glimpses of that kind of thing, you just kind of want to pump them up. And for me, I had to like correct myself and, and confess to her that I was looking at the wrong thing, but stoked that she was into the moment of gratefulness for the strawberries. Yes? And just to kind of be the devil's advocate, um, I love this, but is it really getting at the heart or at the behavior? Because when we're doing the attribute of behavior and consequences, how is that addressing their heart? Because you're putting more focus on the attribute, which is a list of the heart, and you're putting that on first. And you're saying, if you have a compassionate heart, you can't help but see that. Now, there are times we may not be able to see that. But it's likely that if we're living and loving like Jesus and have the character of Jesus, it's probably going to show up in our behavior. But we're not starting with the behavior. We're starting with the We're starting with passion and how it's And you're defining, like, this is what a compassionate person might look like. Otherwise, you start with the behavior and the achievement, and then you just stay there. Gotcha. So you want to put more yeah. emphasis on the attributes, and here's why. So are you consistently going through this, like with Trevor? Yeah. Was he consistently going through the attributes that he was trying to do, or was he really, it seemed like he was focused on the consequence of not having to cook? Yeah, and sometimes you start with a kid like that from the outside in, and then after a while it becomes internalized. And he goes, my life is so much better when I have self-control. And so sometimes you just have to start where they're at. and Because and, what kids don't know is they don't think causally. They don't think cause and effect. And so by using consequences, you're teaching them to have ownership for their behavior and to think causally. Like, hey, when I'm a compassionate person, when I'm a considerate person, when I have self-control, it works better in my family. So I want to be that kind of person. That's kind of how. Now, if you wanted to introduce scripture to some of those attributes and, and then pray about those attributes, now you're really putting the heart issue in it. Yeah. As you start to go through these, do you want to start with like the most glaring issue or do you want to start with something that maybe is a little bit more easy to attain and build confidence in the whole process? Yeah. It all depends on the kid. Sometimes you want to start with the most glaring issue because it's just so annoying and you need to extinguish it right away. Other times, if you can be strategic and get a small win, that's always good to do too. So what you might want to do is start with the small win on one of them because remember, you're only going to do two. And then so maybe the big one that's really annoying, you're going to say, this is going to take six months, but we're going to chip away at it. And then the other one is you're hoping for the small win and then you can do the attaboy and the girl and then okay. affirm them for that kind of growth. One more question, yeah. Are the books you have for sale available yes. on Kindle? Yes, they're available for, well, most of them are available uh, on Kindle and, and or e-books, yeah. So you can get those at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. So. Then I also want to call your attention to this that I just put on your table. One of the things I do is coaching. I have an office right here in Lindero Canyon. So if you have any parenting uh, coaching issues or marital coaching, you'd like that. Um, you can find out what I do here. Um, I also am appealing for people to be on three different teams. There's a friends team, so to introduce your friends through what I'm doing through social media. And um, another one is a prayer team. If you'd like to be on a prayer team, just let me know. And we're developing for this year 
uh, a prayer thing that goes out there and just tell you, you know, kind of what's going on in my world and how you can pray. Uh, I'm doing a, a big uh, seminar. I don't know if it's big or not, but I'm doing a seminar at Ascension Lutheran next Wednesday night that's open to the community. And it'll be a community-based forum. It's called Parent Talk. We have two or three schools, middle schools, uh, and two or three boys and girls clubs that are supporting it. Ascension Lutheran is basically hosting it and paying for it and opening it to the community. Uh, so, you know, just letting you know that that's going on and um, you can bring your family to that. It's a different, not your family, you can bring your friends to that. The topic of that is Gen IY, Raising Capable Digital Natives. So it's the whole idea of dealing with uh, cyberbullying, Snapchat, some of those issues of middle school and high school in the digital world. Um, but to do that, to do this coaching and do some of those presentations, uh, a lot of people don't have money for that. A lot of churches and schools don't have money for that. And so we actually also are trying to put together our financial team. So if people want to give, then if people call and say, hey, like this mom that called me recently, she goes, my church referred me to you. I really need some coaching. I have two teenagers. Um, I just got laid off my job as a teacher. She goes, I have very little income and I don't have a car. They just repossessed my car. And I said, well, you're in luck because I make house calls. So I've driven to her house three times now. We've met, and she can't pay anything. She goes, this is how much I make from my part-time job, and this is how much my rent is. I have no money left over. And I said, well, you know what? Don't worry about it because we have donors that allow me to be able to come here and spend time with you and your family, and we can help. So if you'd be interested in being either on the friends team or, or on the promotion team, or the prayer team, rather, or the financial team, just sign one of those and let me know, and we'll take it from there. Let me pray for us, okay? Thank you, God, for this church and this place that we can come and learn how to be uh, followers of you. Help us to be thinking through what is it that we can do to have a Christ-centered approach to our parenting. And help us to be able to figure out a way to emphasize those attributes that we want to see in the lives of our kids that reflect Christ and the character of Christ. And give us insight into how we can talk to each of our kids at each stage of the game. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you empower us and give us that insight and that discernment, that self-control, the patience, and the goodness just to deal with that. So many times our kids are pushing our buttons and it's hard to be kind to them. Um, help us to have the hope that you have for the kids and just to hang in there and to believe in them uh, when sometimes it's hard to believe in them. And I thank you for each parent here coming to invest this time. Pray that they feel encouraged and hopeful and that they leave with one practical tip that they can use in the life of their kids. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks for coming. I'll be at the back.